Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Otto Sanchez and Matthew Cabot from Manual French Baking coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is an expert on food, wine, and good times, as well as a licensed esthetician. We follow her on Instagram at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. I am so happy and excited to be here today. We have so much to talk about. So I am like on 10, 10 with the news and food, Eric. <laughs> yes, we have, <laughs> we have quite a bit to discuss, especially in the <laughs> restaurant segment. So let us dive right into the news of the week. We'll try to hit these kind of fast so we leave ourselves a little, a little time at the end. Topic number one. The team behind Blood Brothers Barbecue have teamed up with pastry chef Alyssa Dole to open Lulu's Pantry, a sandwich shop and bodega in Garden Oaks. Uh, I will say this is not coming until uh, the summer or maybe even the fall. It'll be located in the Stomping Grounds, which is where Fatka Creamery has opened, where uh, Shoot the Moon, the self-serve pizza and beer concept from Kevin Floyd is opening, where... Cherry Block, uh, Texas Kitchen is opening. So busy little, busy little project over there. It's going to be exciting over there, though, when everything gets, it's going to be good. Yeah. Uh, Felice, I, this, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there to you, and then I'll just let you sort of react to it. This makes a ton of sense to me, because one of the best things about going to Blood Brothers Barbecue is their creative sandwiches, whether it's the turkey banh mi, or the Pigmo, or yeah. whatever. So, react to me, Felice Sloan. What do you What do you think about What do you think about that? Them Ellie boys did it again. That's what. I, that's how I react because it's going to be a hit. They are so. I'm so excited um, because yeah, like they're known for barbecue. But people that you know follow them and have been following them and know the sandwiches, them creating. Um, being creative with the sandwiches, that's like, that's their sweet spot, right? Um, they just knock it out of the park. So just to think, um, and we've talked about this, it's been a while ago, that, you know, there's places where you get good sandwiches, but we don't have a lot of those in Houston. We have places that you go. So definitely think that there is room in the market for something like this. And to combine um, their creative juices with like the smoked meat concept and um, throw just some different cultural things in there. Like they're, you know, they hit all different genres and um, with, you know, where they're going, right? Like things that were hot, maybe like a type of sandwich, like bombies were hot. They're always good, but you know, they had a time, right? Um, fun, funky sandwiches, had a time. So they're always just, they're just mixing it up and keeping it, I always say keeping it cute. I'm excited. I really am. Yeah. And I, I do want to sort of point out, Alyssa Dole is not a nobody and, and is, a, is a key part of this project. She's going to run a commercial bakery. Correct. I just want to talk about Blood Brothers first. I thought we were just breaking them up. No, no, so no, no, no. 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 I, no. no okay. No shade to Elise. You know what? You know I'm gonna get a girl's love. So yes. Yeah. So throw what they're doing in with what she's able to do far as pastry wise with um 
the the breads and the doughs and she's going to be doing that and giving us some other things. I I, I think it's just a, a home run. I really do. I really do. No, absolutely. No. People who go to Blood Brothers now, if you get a cupcake, Alyssa makes those cupcakes. She worked for the Kirby Group for a while. So if you went to any of their bars, Wooster's Garden, Heights Beer Garden, Holman Draft Hall, any of that, uh, you had, you know, sandwich buns or whatever that she worked on. She worked at Pinkerton's Barbecue for a little while. So those kolaches that they used to do, uh, she had a role in that. Uh, she worked at Revival Market. She opened Emmeline. So I remember that badass banana split that was on the menu when Emmeline opened. That was that was one of hers. Um, so this gives her kind of a permanent home and I'm excited about that and to kind of she what she comes up with. But obviously the sandwiches from Blood Brothers are a big deal. It'll be a really nice addition to Garden Oaks and the stopping grounds as a whole. And uh, we will look forward to that in the fall. All right. Topic number two. And I'm glad you're the co-host for this one because Brandy Key has joined Dish Society's parent company, 512 Restaurant Concepts, to be their director of culinary operations. I know Brandy's your girl. So I'm going to let you say nice things about Brandy for the next couple of minutes and how you think... (laughs) How you think she'll fit in with Dish Society? Yeah, go go with that. Okay, so let's hear it for the ladies. Like, right? Like, there's like, did you plan this today? I'm even more excited. Like, it's all about the ladies. And to talk about my girl Brandy, um, working with um, Aaron Lyons, like, to me, that's like a dream team because they're both amazing people. Like, they're two of my favorite people in the industry because they're very, um, they love what they're do. They love what they do. They're very customer focused and quality focused on product and what they're doing. So to me, this is a home run. It makes perfect sense. And, you know, one of the things that they brought her on to, you know, kind of help um, with the existing business with, um, Dish Society with, you know, coming up with new menu items and keeping um, that going, but also the future concepts. And so in my mind, I've already created the future concepts that I want to see, but, you know, they didn't ask me. So if they ask, someone asked me, what do you want to see? I would see, because uh, Brandy's so creative. So I would see like, um, like something with a seafood concept like very, very seafood focused because- You mean like Saltair seafood. seafood Kitchen, which you worked at for well, Clark Cooper? Well, so here, this is here's, I'm going seafood, Southern seafood. Like if you can kind of take the salt air and the punks and kind of give it and juice it up and it has a baby, that's what I want to see. Okay. Because think about those shrimp and grits that they have on their menu and this is how they still are like some of my favorite. Like when I'm going that route with some shrimp and grits, like and for it to be somewhat healthy-ish. No, those are not healthy, but that's what I tell myself in my mind. You know, this society is more healthy. It's definitely clean. So I'm like, Aaron definitely knows how, you know, to get get the flavors going. So just think about a concept that's just about good, clean, and you're doing a southern seafood. Dude, I, I got ideas. That's that's one concept, and then maybe I don't know what the other concept would be. I see something more, um, uh, maybe another fun, fast, casual, 
I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really know. But that one I've thought out. Well, so maybe, maybe very like a, maybe like a pizza thing, right? She did all that pizza and pasta copa. You know years. what? Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe and turn her loose her. in that mm-hmm. kind of realm. Possibly. I don't know. I have heard Dish Society is working on. Aaron Lyons of the CEO of Dish Society is working on a new concept. Um, I want to be vague about this in sort of West Houston. Okay. Uh, in, in a very interesting and prominent location, but Ooh. I have not heard the details about what kind of food it's going to serve, but clearly Ooh. hiring Brandy is a step in the development of that concept that they have not yet announced. Uh, and I've sort of gently poked their PR team about when can we talk about the new concept and, and have not really received a, a reply yet. So, right. I, well, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you it's coming. I can't tell you what it's it coming. is or when it's going to open. Well, you know, I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to hit up Brandy and tell her if she needs me, you know, they don't even have to pay me, right? They don't have to pay me until they see how successful it's going to be. Like they can pay me on the back end if they need help with concepts, right? Because I'm definitely a food. I, I know food. So they can hit me up for that. I speak for the people. And then I'm going to throw myself out there for if they need to take me to taste anything before they put it on the menu. I'm definitely there for that. And, um, you know, hey, that, that that's what I got. That's what I got. But I'm I'm really excited for her. And I think um, in all seriousness, this is a good move for um, that restaurant group. For Aaron and Brandy, it's going to be a, a a good relationship, I think, a, good, a match made in heaven. Yes, absolutely. All right. And then topic number three, just briefly, I want to comment on a couple of high-profile openings that took place last week. Acme Oyster Co. has made its debut in Montrose. They basically had a line out the door and sold out of food on Saturday and Sunday. So they closed Monday and Tuesday to restock and regroup, uh, which just shows how excited Houstonians are to have mm-hmm. New Orleans classic. <laughs> now, Felice, I know you're, you're a big New Orleans person. You used to travel there pretty regularly for work. Um, are you excited about Acme or are you sort of content with, maybe our current seafood options. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's cool. You know, I'm all about, yay, let me give it a hand. Um, waiting in line, I, that's a lot. But I will say that goes to the point where we're, there's not a lot of seafood places like that in, in Houston that are pretty good, that's giving quality. There's some. So I think that's one. And then because it's out of New Orleans and people have high expectations and they've done a great job promoting it. So I, I'm, I'm happy. I, well, I like, I'll let all the fans say, I don't love acne like that. Like one of the things I mentioned to someone, um, I think yesterday, you know, I like their oysters, you know, but there's some in the city, there's Chargra oysters, but there's some in our city that I like better. So I'll go there for the Chargra oysters. They have a good po' boy, mm, but you know, that's, that's it. I can wait months down the line unless someone's like, Hey, come, we got a table. I'm there. You know, I, I will say but, the early buzz has been very good, especially for the char grilled oysters and especially for the po' boys. And apparently they worked with Breadman to get the right consistency, the right texture on the sandwich bread for the po' boys. So they're not importing it, which I, I think is interesting 
It's being baked fresh locally here. Uh, and like I said, the, the buzz is very good. I, I can't speak to the rest of the food, but I, I do. I mean, I do like a casual seafood option. I do like a giant mm-hmm. plate full of fried shrimp. I do like a good, a good pull boy every now and then. So I, I have not been to Acme Oyster as of the time we're recording this, but I suspect I will get there very soon and it will be a restaurant of the week uh, on this podcast within the next week or two. Oh, I'll definitely be listening to see. I hope you go with someone that um, has a different palette, completely different palette that's controversial. Um, so I can see, I would love to hear how y'all mix it up. Yeah, I mean, this this feels like maybe a, a Mary Clarkson Ooh, possibility okay. that'll be is, good. because she goes to New Orleans all the time and she pulls no punches. So we'll okay, that'll be good. We'll see, yeah. but I that that feels like how I'm leading. All right, Felice, I'm going to say that that does it for the news of the week because we have a very good restaurants of the week segment, and I want to move on to that. So stick around; we'll be right back. Felice, for our restaurants of the week segment, we have two places to talk about. Let's start with thirteen. This is the restaurant in Midtown that is owned by NBA superstar James Harden, formerly of the Houston Rockets. I don't know that I, I need to say that, but I feel sort of for context, for foodies who don't, who don't know basketball very well, James Harden was a very prominent member of the Houston Rockets, uh, now member of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, so the restaurant's a little bit controversial in that sense because he left the team under sort of a cloud. Um, it's the old Mr. People space. It has been comprehensively renovated, seats about 75 or so in the main dining room with an adjacent bar, hookah lounge, patio, the whole thing. And uh, yeah, Felice, let me, let me just throw it to you because you and I talked about this when it was announced a while back. Mm-hmm. And I asked you a question that did you think 13 could become the black bisu. Yeah. That was the, and, and at the time you predicted that, that, that it had that potential just based on who was involved. So correct. Let me throw it to you. Having now eaten there, what do you think? I definitely think, I think it's the uh, um, black bisu plus, uh, plus, plus 10, right? Like um, plus 10, just because, <laughs> From the time they open till the time they close um, every day of the week um, that they're open. And this is what I've heard before going. It was is exactly like it was when we were there. And that was at 530, right? On in, in the middle of the 530 week. 530 on I, a Thursday. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, um, yeah, like people were, you would think it was a weekend. People were dressed to the nines because, you know, that's that's just how how it goes down. It was definitely a place to be, to see, to people watch and to be seen. It was beautiful people dressed, um, you know, just happy to be out. Um, it was nice. It was, I'm like, this is definitely what we predicted it would be, right? So um, very upscale um, for our service-wise, um, Seeing the, just the bar, high-end drinks where, you know, it's a curated cocktails list. Um, they have their signature cocktails, but of course they can make everything. It's a beautiful space. So, I mean, they hit the mark on all those things. Every, 
everything that I thought far as aesthetic wise and people wise, they hit. I want to see what you think about that. And then we'll talk about food as well. Yeah, we'll talk about the, we'll, we'll talk about, the, but I, I absolutely agree with you about the atmosphere and the sense of occasion. We saw groups of friends celebrating birthdays and taking pictures in front of, you know, there's like the big restaurant logo kind of near the entryway, you know, couples dressed up for date night, groups of friends, everybody's ordering cocktails, everybody's ordering big plates of food. There's a real energy to it that's very exciting. And, and so in that sense, right, when I say Bisu, I mean a restaurant that's uh, a party, right? Like just right, like a yeah. constant a constant party, high energy, you know, and it doesn't, and 13 to, like doesn't have the sort of nightclub aspects with the, the bottles and the sparklers, but it, it does have that like sense of happiness and that occasion. Right. And, and, and that's a very well-dressed, the restaurant a very well-dressed side, crowd. Eric, I'm sorry. We didn't go to the other side. So if we would have went to the bar side. It may have would have combined that. This is just on the restaurant side, right. That we felt all this energy and vibe. We didn't even go to, um, you know, the bar side where, you know, that's the obvious party, right? right. This is just the restaurant that had that, I want to be here happy, happy vibe that you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So, all right, let's, let's talk about the food because, you know, chef Tobias Dorzon is, is the chef. He comes to Houston via Maryland and, Miami. He's a former professional athlete who's had some success in the food truck world and on reality TV. He's a, he's been on guys grocery games and some other TV shows. Uh, but this is like his kind of really first like high end fine dining kind of restaurant. He's got this really eclectic Southern inspired menu, a lot of bold flavors. Um, I'm going to say highs and lows. Yes, I would say, I would agree. It's fair. So, so maybe talk about, maybe talk about one of the, the couple of things that you really liked, and then we'll talk about a couple of things that, that weren't as successful. Okay. Um, there was a, and I, I would love to get the exact name. There is an oyster appetizer. Do you remember the name of that? Yes, they were the Sun Devil Oysters, which is because James Harden went to Arizona State and they're the Sun Devils. Okay. And those were, um, I thought they they did uh, the oyster, had a little collard greens. It was kind of their take on the um, oyster Rockefeller. And those were a hit for me. I just thought they were, um, it, it was a hit. There was nothing, I could have kept eating them. Um, and for my entree, I had the um, seafood fried rice with, um, and it had fried lobster tails on the top. And that was very delicious. The flavors all came to, it was um, crawfish and lump crab uh, meat. And I thought the flavors came together nicely. The only thing, and this is a personal preference, I requested um, red pepper flakes to kind of kick up the um, spice level because I wanted a little bit spicier. Um, and th those were divine. And I, I have to mention too the dessert we had was an off-menu dessert. It was the it was debuting that night, a peach cobbler pound cake with um, vanilla bean ice cream on the top. Yeah, 
we told them to add that to the rent. And they had a nice, when he listed the desserts, you know, they had a nice offering. Eric and I looked at each other like, there's no question. That's what we want. And after we taste it, we're like, I hope y'all are adding this to the menu. And they're like, yeah, we probably will. Yeah, as soon as he said peach cobbler, (laughs) as soon as he said peach cobbler pound cake, we were like, yeah, we're going to, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to hear it. We were nice though, right? We were nice and let him finish. (laughs) Um, And and, and I will say um, in terms of the service, I think we had, he was, he was very professional. He was very polished. He knew the menu. He could make recommendations. Uh, he was an outgoing guy. And I mean, I made the reservation in my name, but I don't think we got any special treatment um, just based on sort of the way the staff interacted with us, where we were seated, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think we got anything special uh, from that score. Um, right. So, so yes, there, but, you know, we, we have praised extensively and now I think we need to be a little bit critical because there were, but wait, before, before we get critical, Eric, I want you to talk about one of your favorite dishes because that's their signature. dish. Oh, well, yes, yes. I ordered, you have to talk about that. I ordered the fried lasagna as my entree in part because I just had to see it. Right. I've never, I've never heard of anyone frying lasagna before. It's never occurred to me that you could or should fry lasagna. Uh, Overall, I was very impressed. It had a, a nice kind of vibrant, spicy, not too sweet tomato sauce, um, a, a good like meat filling. The pasta I thought was pretty well cooked, you know, given kind of the, the way it's prepared. Um, I, I would have liked the batter to be a little crispier, right? So there was a little more crunch, a little more contrast between uh, the batter and the noodles. But um, I, I ate it was a huge portion. I ate most of it. I would happily order it again. And I think anyone who orders it would probably enjoy it because it's, I mean, it's fried lasagna. Like what's not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, there were a couple of things that weren't as successful. So let's, let us be honest about our experience. Uh, for me, you know, I, I really wanted to try the, uh, shrimp and lobster, mac and cheese, egg rolls, uh, that's another signature item. When I posted it to my Instagram story, that was the image that was shared the most times. Got a whole bunch of comments from people. Um, again, you know, I think some issues with the fry station because the egg roll shell wasn't very crispy. And then looking at the mac and cheese, we really struggled to find either the shrimp or the lobster that was supposed to be in the mac and cheese. It comes with like a crawfish crawfish sauce topping and we definitely saw crawfish tails in that sauce and they were a nice addition but in terms mm. of the filling of the egg rolls couldn't really taste or see the shrimp or the lobster right uh and when you're charging and, and I, honestly i think they missed it yeah i honestly think they missed it yeah yeah and when you're charging everything else that was meat forward it had it oh i'm sorry no i said i honestly think that they missed out on it because everything else that we had that um they were they gave us generous portions of it so it was nothing that we were looking for in any other dishes right so i felt like if they were there we would have seen it we would have tasted it and seen it we wouldn't have had to look for it right right exactly and you know again it's like a you know i think it's a either a 16 or an 18 dollar appetizer um if it's just fried mac and cheese like that's a lot of money for that 
if it has shrimp and lobster in it, it's a pretty good value. So uh, that was a little disappointing. And then I'm going to let you talk about the worst dish of the night because because I defer to your expertise on this particular topic. But then you're going to join in because you have to. You know, oh, no, I, I, I will say in yes. advance, okay. we talked about this as it was happening. And I agree with your analysis. I, I endorse the, the following take. <laughs> I endorse wholeheartedly. It's why so, you're here. <laughs> so we and it's so funny. We I wasn't going to order the um, I've never talked about this where I tell people this, uh, but I wasn't going to order the collard greens. They, we always get collard greens. I wasn't going to order the collard greens for the reason that I'm like, eh, well, you know, he's not from around here. And again, that's not fair, but I just wanted in my mind, I, you know, I have a thing with collard greens. I want them to be good. And so Eric said, no, we're going to get collard greens. Okay, great. So we get the collard greens and um, I tasted them. And I couldn't even have an expression on my face. I didn't have an expression nor or anything because I didn't want to um, affect when Eric tasted them. He said, what do you think? I go, well, I'm going to let you taste them. And when he, ta- since I, since he, ta- when he tasted it, he was like, oh, God, this is not good at all. I go, not only is it not good, it's like offensive. Like, <laughs> I'm offended that it's so bad. Now, um, we talk, there's preference of how you want something to taste. Um, and then there is something that just seems like it's off. And Right. I, I occasionally describe like this off. as the difference between <laughs> I don't like this and this sucks. And it's an important right. distinction yeah. <laughs> when you're talking about food to, to understand that, that the two aren't always the same thing. But, Correct. But this was an interest of, or this was an occasion of, this is bad. All right. So, yeah. So explain, yeah. explain to the people what made the collard greens so bad. Well, um, so preference, some people, depending on where you're from and you know, what you're used to, some people like um, to make them a little bit sweeter. That's preference. These were um, so sweet that they taste like, I would call them candied collard greens. They were that sweet. Again, that could be a preference thing. But not only were they sweet, but then after you hit the sweetness, there was a acidic and bitter taste that comes flooding in. Like it just kind of like a sour taste. Like, like is that sour? Because I, I literally had to taste them again so I could describe it. And Eric's like, you're brave. And so we were, um, we wanted to send them back and have someone taste them because I'm like, I can't imagine anyone ordering these tonight and not sending them back because it just seems like they're off. And so uh, we sent them back, someone tasted them and came back and said, yeah, they were definitely off. Um, try these, I mean, try these replacement collard greens instead. Yes. And it was, yes. it was fine. I mean, like I, they were still not to my taste. They were still a little bit, on the bitter sour side for me, but they were, they were definitely, they were, it was, it, it, it became more, I don't like this. Exactly. Right. So had we gotten those first? So yes, when we got the second ones, they were like tasting, we tasted them and we were both, they weren't to my liking. Like that's just a, pre- a preference. Right. But that's what we would have told y'all like, Oh yeah, we tried the collard greens and 
They just weren't up to what we like. But um, so the collard greens, I honestly, I wish. Right, what we Chef should would. have done is order the Brussels sprouts, which they uh, they brought us as a replacement and which were a, a good version of the kind of, you know, soy sauce, fried Brussels sprout, yeah. stir fried that you see at a lot of restaurants. Um, and if you like that sort of thing, you will like this version of them. And I would eat yeah. those again. So those were but good. The collard, they said that's one of chef's dishes, right? Yeah. This is one of his signature dishes. They were delicious. Collards, collards, really bad. Like when, if I, yeah. if I do a worst dishes of 2021, uh, those collard greens, those collard greens are going to struggle not to be in the top three. Like it's going to take some pretty bad food to outrank it at this point. Yeah, um, oh, they're pretty bad. All right, I want to move on because I also want to talk to you about Littlefoot. This is the pop up taking place uh, where Theodore Rex is. It's led by Caitlin Steets, who is Theodore Rex's chef de cuisine. This is kind of her chance to step out on her own, kind of do a menu uh, that inspires her. This time it's kind of a French influence take using the same high quality locally sourced ingredients. It had been a trademark of both Theodore Rex and Oxart, where she has worked alongside Justin Yu. Uh, Caitlin is very much like a, a talent kind of on the rise. And, you know, we went with our friends who uh, join us uh, on Mondays in the clubhouse room so my, my three fellow moderators, Michael Ma, Julie Jules, and Abbas Tahani, uh, and then a couple other friends who were new that, that also joined in. Um, let, me just, let me just throw it to you, because like you said, this has been kind of the girl power episode uh, of What's Eric Eating. And so we're going to wrap up the restaurants of the week with uh, a tasting menu concept led by uh, a very talented uh, female chef. So what'd you think? It was, it was a happy meal. It was not to be confused with a McDonald's happy meal. It was a happy meal. It was, you know, the, the ambiance, the company, the, the, the food, the pairings. It, it was definitely, when you're like, is it, so it's like, is it worth the splurge? I thought it was a value actually, <laughs> you know, like it is definitely, you know, not a cheap night out. But for what you're getting, I, I thought it was executed well. And it's very funny, when I looked at the menu, I was struggling to decide which way I would go with the meal, if I wanted to go all vegetarian or I wanted to mix it up a little bit. So um, I think you know the, the time that they have left, if you are a food lover, um, if you enjoy like pop-ups or just really good food or you have something coming up, definitely mark your calendar and go because she showed up and showed out with that menu um, yesterday. I, I think it's executed well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. Five courses, $65. Um, I've been knocking down a whole bunch of tasty menus at various price points since the start of the year. This was a, this was a good balance, right? A, a thoughtful progression uh, each dish was very well executed. Uh, and of course we had a good, we had a good time. We were in the record room uh, with a group of friends. The service was great, you know, and, and I like, I like that kind of fine dining stuff that, that both Theodore Rex and Littlefoot do, right. They, 
you know, they change your silverware for you after every course. They, you know, keep track of your water and wine and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. They, they keep it coming. They, they're very attentive. You get the explanation Mm -hmm. of each dish when they deliver it, all those little things that they do. I really appreciate. It's approachable fine dining to me, right? right? Where it's not stuffy or some people think it's stuff. It's just kind of casual, but they're hitting all that fine dining detail. It's just seamless. Yes. Right. So did you have a favorite course of the five that you tried? My favorite course uh, was there is a um, quail dish, which would be considered, I guess, the entree. And uh, we talked about this to get a lot of people do quail and they just do it. Okay. (laughs) This quail was like, it kind of just like melted in your mouth. It was prepared so good. And um, they had kind of like a, like I could serve it with like a roasted onion kind of thing. And with a, a, I still didn't, rem- no one ever told me what the sauce was after I tried to look it up again. Um, it was, it, there was like a nice little, like a nice little sauce, not where it was cooked on, it was laid on the bed. Eric, I hate, I, I was thinking about the people that didn't, that went vegetable. I was like, okay, you got cheated. But they, you know, they're, they're of course, they're like, no, we didn't. So I think that they do a really good job of matching up the entrees where there's no food envy, but the quail was definitely my, um, my one of my favorite courses. I, I will say I had the, I tried the quail because I was, I was sitting next to someone who let me have a little bit of it. Uh, but the entree on the vegetarian menu, which is what I ordered was the lion's mane mushrooms uh, with the cauliflower puree and these really delicious thick cut steak fries and the, you know, the, the lion's mane mushrooms get like a soy glaze. So it's a big, like umami bomb with a, a meaty texture. You know, it's not quite steak and potatoes, but it's kind of supposed to be steak and potatoes. I thought that dish, <laughs> right. I thought that dish was really delicious. Uh, the beets with the, the celery and the, uh, the celery, I thought was a really smart dish. And those, those really silly little garlic miso madeleines that are just like a, like an oh in-between not quite a bread course exactly, but like a little in-between snack. Um, yes. We're just so flavorful and, and so, you know, light and tasty and just, uh, they were a lot of fun. So everybody kept eating and we wanted more. We were like, this is so, this should be we're like, is this a menu item? What is this? <laughs> right. So um, I will say the, the clock is very much ticking on Littlefoot. It's going to run through May 3rd. And then Theodore Rex will reopen uh, May 16th, which is the, the Sunday after Mother's Day. So uh, again, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably like that sort of dining, right? You, you're into tasting menus and, and ambitious concepts. Uh, I will say that, you know, the flavors are pretty subtle overall, um, but the, the quality of the ingredients really speaks for itself. The, the, the techniques are, are well-considered and, and I just think it's uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really um, satisfying meal and I'm so glad that we got to go. And I really look forward to, you know, Caitlin both as chef de cuisine at Theodore Rex and then whatever she does in the future, I think will be very exciting. 
Oh yeah, definitely we'll be watching her because she she did it last night. We loved it. All right, Felice, that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Um, can I, I have one quick thing to say before we leave? I think we will be doing a disservice to our listeners if I don't say this. Please. May 1st and 2nd, mark your calendars. Craftpita is doing another pop-up with um, Truth Barbecue and they're going to have their lamb. I'm telling, listen to what I'm saying. Mark your calendars. You want to get it. That's it. That, that is all I got. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I would elaborate, but we have run long, so I'm going to cut this off. <laughs> I will be right back with Otto Sanchez and Matthew Cabot. Stick around. I am joined this week by Otto Sanchez and Matthew Cabot from Manual French Baking. Gentlemen, let me introduce you individually so people can hear your voices. Otto Sanchez, welcome to the show. Thank you. Matthew Cabot, welcome. Thank you. Let me, let me just kind of start at the beginning. Otto, tell me a little bit about Manual French Baking and kind of how, you, how the two of you sort of came together to start this business. So I, I, I tried to start the bakery uh, upon returning to Houston back in 2014 after living in Dubai. Um, and so after a few months, I realized it probably wasn't going to work. So that's when I started consulting on the side a little bit uh, while figuring out how I was going to get this going. And coincidentally, at that time, I was introduced to Alex from Latab. Uh, Latab, uh, Alex uh, was the, I think he was the VP of um, food and beverage at MGM Grand when Matt and I worked there. Um, so I knew of him, but I did not know him. Uh, so when, when he found out that I worked at Robuchon, he said, you know, he, he wanted to meet with me and said, you know, I want to start this project at Latab. Very ambitious. Um, program uh, and I said you know it's, it's Houston is not Las Vegas you don't have you know people lining out the door to work for you right it's a the pool is a little more shallow here in Houston I said so for you for us to execute what you want to do it's going to take a long time because unfortunately there are not 27 autos like there were at Robichon you know only <laughs> right so after a couple of years of working on the top I was kind of ready to you know, start working uh, on the bakery full-time. So I left the top and I started just getting everything together, you know, looking for a building, uh, trying to see how much financially, how much was going to cost. And so then um, I quickly realized that um, a pastry shop was not feasible because it would cost too much money because, you know, um, uh, the way we, we have set up our operation, most of the money we have invested is, in the equipment that we have. And so to open a bakery, like, like it would cost too much money. So I said, at that time, which time, the whole time, the, this whole time I'm talking to Matt, right? Matt knew that I was doing this from the get-go. 
And at some point, about two and a half, three years ago, uh, a year before we started, we opened, more than a year before we opened, uh, Matt flew into town because he would occasionally and we would just hang out. Uh, so then one day he calls me and says, listen, I'm, I'm kind of done over here and I don't know what I'm going to do next. Uh, you know, he's like, I, I've got this job here and there's an offer there and I don't really know, you know. And so I, he's like, you know, are you still doing your project? And I said, yeah. You know, it's like, well, should we do it together? I said, yeah, of course. You know, he's like, you're always invited, you know. And so then he started planning his exit from where he was in Orlando, uh, Bacuse. Uh, and then I, a year later, he moved. Uh, Houston about three months before we opened the bakery, something like that. And so by the time he got here, everything was, you know, pretty much, he had flown into town a few times. We already had the building. We were, you know, getting ready uh, the last three months of the, of, of the waiting. Uh, and so that's how we, you know, that's how we got it going. But it took us a few years to get it off the ground, longer than I ever thought that it would take me. You know, Matt and I had known each other since, 2007, about a week after Matt arrived to the U.S., when he barely spoke English, uh, believe it or not. And so, so we've been friends ever since. And uh, 2009, uh, 2010 is when I worked at Rupchon, and he was still there. So uh, we worked together there, but before, we had been friends way before that, because, you know, in Vegas, all these French restaurants, is a, like a little group of people that we all know each other, we all hang out with each other. Uh, so it was like a very like kind of like a French little bubble um, that, you know, like people from Isawa or people from Obuchon or Lucas, all these French kitchens would kind of hang out together, meet at bars and, and just, you know, that's how the community was. Sure. Well, Matt, let me let me pivot to you then. I mean, like I was saying, you had a good job in Vegas with a with a community of sort of high end French restaurants and and people who sort of shared your commitment, you know, cooking at a. I mean, even though Vegas doesn't isn't on the Michelin list, but like cooking at a, a Michelin kind of level, uh, why give all that up and come to Houston? Well, before between Vegas and uh, Houston, I moved to California. Uh, I moved there for eight months. I didn't work out well, so then we looked for a job. It was me and my ex-wife, and uh, I moved to Orlando, working for one of the park in the Disney World, with Epcot, and uh, I'm working there for the French Pavilion which is owned and operated by uh, Jérôme Bocuse, the son of Monsieur Paul. And, uh, and I did six years there. And after a couple of years, I mean, uh, let's say after four or five years, I was like, I think I, I saw what I had to see here and uh, I started to look for a new job, new opportunity. And that's when uh, Otto and I, we got in touch again and uh, talking about this business, this part of the project. And uh, I mean, my also is very interesting. So why Houston? I will tell you there is no reason why Houston. It's just because Otto is at Houston and, uh, and I just moved here where the work is for me. Uh, but after two years, I can tell you it was the good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Otto, let me, let me try to ask this question a slightly different way. There's a lot of bakeries in town. There's a lot of kind of wholesale bakeries that have popped up over the last four or five years. But I think Manuel has found its own niche. And so maybe just talk a little bit about Kind of how you define what you're doing and maybe how it's different than what you know i'm not going to rattle off your competitors but but maybe what some of the other bakeries in town are doing and you know we we so we um me and matt talked about um that right like you know i said you know we don't have enough money for retail so let's do wholesale 
And so, okay, so then all right, I said, well, let's open a bakery. So then I talked to Matt, I said, you know, we'll do a concentrate on bread. But that's what we're going to do for the first two years. Is it two years or one year? It was one year bread. One year we'll bread. do nothing but bread. And then the next year we'll introduce some bianasserie, like some croissants, some something else. And then on year three, I will start making pastries. So that went out the window in about two weeks. So we pivot, pivoted from a wholesale to a retail very fast, but we always knew that we were a retail brand. We've always known the Magnolia as a retail brand. Uh, so, you know, we make organic, we, we decided to make organic bread. We started thinking about it and then we did, we went to New York and, um, and, do, and went around and ate a bunch of bread and even drove up like three hours north to check out this really cool bakery that's been open for 30 years that has organic bread. And so then we decided that we were gonna do organic. And so um, just to kind of, find another niche. We, we believe that that was a good idea. We believe that making organic bread was, a, was we liked it. We, what we had was organic and the, the, the culture behind it and you know, the commitment to it. And the wholesale is something that we like to do, but quite honestly, we're not really interested in that. Um, we, wanna, we don't wanna dilute the quality of our product because that's what happens. And so it's inevitable. Uh, you can buy all the machines in the world, but nothing's going to replace hands, right? Hands are, we make everything by hand. Yes, we do have equipment that makes our lives a lot easier, uh, but nothing is going to replace what we do with our hands. And, you know, everything is, that we do is very natural, like the way, it's, the way we are trained to, to do it. All right, so give me an example of something you do by hand that maybe some of the other bakeries in town do by machine and, and how that manifests itself. Okay, so uh, the shaping, um, 100% of our shaping is made by hand. There is no machine to roll the dough. Uh, most of the dividing is made by hand too. So you feel, you, uh, you feel uh, the dough, you feel how it is. Uh, if you need to force a little bit more, if you need to loosen it up a little bit more. So we work more with feelings than mechanic machines, you know. Even for the, the mixing process, uh, I would say if you go to big industrial companies, you will see the mixing will be done in 10 minutes. Yeah, because time is money, so you make it quick. But your bread comes out all white, no flavorless, the crust, there is no crust. Uh, when you do a mix like the way we do, it, took, uh, it takes us at least two hours just for one bread to get mixed. Because there is a lot of resting time. That's what other people will not do. They will rush the mix. And when you, when you work old school and you respect the product and the flour we have, you have to go through the method, meaning we let our dough rest for at least 45 minutes. Some, most of the bakery will not do it. He, he gets the flavors and the textures more, much more better for what we want to do. So it, it, is, it is kind of an unusual thing to have an explicitly like old school French bakery in Houston, but it seems like you've gotten a pretty good response, right? You, you have a, a pretty devoted both wholesale and retail following. We do. Um, part of it is by accident. Again, uh, we did, literally we know that there's an Audi school down the street from us, right? Which is uh, after doing the research afterwards, uh, we realized it was the, the, the largest international school in the U.S., which is awesome. But not only that, half of those people are French. So from day one, right? Uh, from day two, people started coming to the bakery and knocking on the door and saying, I want to buy a baguette. And we're like, well, yeah, we sure we have some. And then next, you know, the next week, then 20 French people came. And they're like, they, someone told me that you have baguettes here. 
And so, you know, do you have croissants in Well, we don't make croissants. Well, you should. And so that's how we just got to just went downhill from there, right? So um, that's the explanation for why the business plan of we're not going to make Venoiserie for a year yeah. went out the window yeah. because the Audi, Audi parents essentially would not, yeah. would not accept that answer. Exactly. So, you know, I think uh, if you, if you, I think you visited once and it was a very small little room, right? Um, at the beginning. And so we, we just threw something in and then they started asking, well, you should have lemon tarts because that's very French and, yes. and opera cake. That's very French. And, and so and then a lot of people that I work with at La Table would tell, oh, yeah, Chef Otto opened his bakery down in North Coast. So if you want the same bread or the same opera, go see him. So then we have all these La Table people coming here and say, where is the country bread that we used to have at La Table? Where are the little rolls with the seeds? And so then it was like, okay, now we have to do all this. And then so, and then they started saying, well, you should have coffee because you're a French bakery and you have bread and you have croissants. You should have coffee. It's just natural. And so, all right, well, let's think about that. And so now they're like, well, you should have sandwiches and pizzas. And like, well, no, we're not going to go that far yet. But, but it's already there. The bug is already there, right? So, so we, we are, it's a very organic thing to happen. We didn't really thought this was going to happen to us. And it just did. Uh, so most of it has happened only because, you know, word of mouth and all the French community has found out about us. And now we know that there's a lot more other communities coming, you know, or Asian communities coming. A lot of, uh, yeah, Russians, um, Indians, um, Hispanics, you know, my friend, my friends are Hispanics. Why don't you make some coins? like, ah, this is not what I, but. right, right. You're not, you're not, you're not going to start knocking out Bolio rolls, right? <laughs> right, right. No, but plus I can't make it. To be honest with you, I've never been able to, to make them because I think I overthink about that. And it's, it's a similar, simple role. If you overthink it, you're going to mess it up. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Bolio. I'm just going to get my rules, really nice and warm, and I'm not going to mess with that. Right. Someone asked me for a Bolio, I said, what are the Bolio? Right. Let's, let's rewind just a little bit for your personal story. How did you become a French-trained pastry chef? Like, what was your sort of path to the business? Uh, so I, I started, you know, believe it or not, I started working at La Madeleine. So I worked in this, uh, the one they have on Westheimer and Beltway 8. And it was what they call their home kitchen, right? And they would, they would make a lot of the products there. A lot came frozen from Dallas. But I learned some of the basics there. And then so then I, I, I fast forward a couple of years. Uh, I left and I went to work at the Omni where uh, back then this is Jeff Tim Keating, uh, very famous guys back then. Um, you know, they, I started working there and they, they were kind of very French kitchen. There was like strictly French kitchen. Uh, and so I, I kind of just stuck with that. Fast forward a few years when I worked down to, uh, went down to 17. That's when the opportunity for me to go work at the Cosmo came. And so then I became really, really French, right? Uh, because uh, then I, I went to the Cosmo and I was sort of retrained, retooled in the way I was doing things. Uh, and so then I just became almost 100% French. Uh, whereas before I was kind of like, you know, doing a few things here, a few things there. Uh, that's how I sort of, that defined 2005 is when I worked at Ducasse. Ever since then, I just lived the French life until today. You know, I'm still working with a French guy. So, right. So, Matt, let me let me bring you back into this. I, I mean, obviously, you are French, but how did you how did you become interested in baking, and and how did you make your way from France to America? Well, baking, uh, I would say it's the smell. 
uh, walking on walking on the streets and uh, having the in France the bakeries the, the back door is always open and when you walk on the street behind the bakery and you have those, those smells coming out of the uh, the fournil as, as we say in French it's just that uh, the pleasure also to have on Sunday morning with my parents the, the fresh croissant from the bakery and you can tell I was the first one happy but all the family is happy and I was like someone's making this someone make people happy that's pretty cool and so I was 18, I got the diploma, the regular basic economic and maths diploma. And then I, that's when I start. Uh, I went to a training for two years, first two diplomas in bakery, pure bread, just bread. In, in France, you don't do a pastry uh, or bakery ba baking, it, you have to pick which one you do. So I started with bread two years as a trainee, so three, three weeks at work, one week at school. And then I did, I did it again two more years to get another diploma, higher level. Then I got hired as a, as a, as a baker at the bakery I was uh, worked. And after that, when I was, I was 25 years old, 2007, and I decided to, uh, to move around uh, to see the world. Being a French baker, like I said, it's, it's like being an Italian pizzaiolo, you know. It just gives you a passport, like you can travel with it. And uh, so I, I just post my resume online. And uh, the chef, the chef, pastry chef from Joël Robuchon in Las Vegas, Called me one day and say, hey, are you available? I say, yes. Well, I have a job for you here. So after a few months, we talk, we talk, I get the visa, and I moved to uh, Las Vegas in 2007, yes. So that was 18 months visa, and I stayed five years at Robichon Las Vegas. And then I moved to California. Uh, between then, I got married, and uh, I got the green card. And uh, then I moved to Orlando, and now I moved to Houston. So I've been in America for 14 years now. Okay. And, uh, it looks like I'm, I'm not even going anywhere. <laughs> right. All right. So, so where exactly did the two of you meet and how long did you work together? So my roommate uh, in Vegas, who I worked at Ducasse with, worked to work at Robuchon in the bakery. And so he came one day and said, hey, where this new guy came today, this French guy, but he speaks no English. So I said, well, let's take him out for a beer. So we took him out for a beer with this other guy who was uh, the head baker, Damian, at yeah. the time. And so the four of us, we go to the bar and just sit at the bar and just drink beer. Uh, and the funniest thing is, was like, we kind of did not really understand each other. My French is not very good. His English wasn't very good. So, but we, you know, we kind of hanging out, just hang out together, drank beer and play a lot of darts. Uh, it was always France against America, uh, which mostly we won. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, and so that's how we became really good friends. And then, so we kept hanging out together, you know, uh, we cook at home and, they would come and, or, you know, there was a party and then we would hang out together at bars. And there was a few instances where I almost came to Robuchon, but there was never a position open for me, you know, because they said, well, we're not gonna, you're not going to come as a cook. You're going to come, you have to come as a, as a sous chef or at least. So then there was never any openings for me until after I moved to, I went to Napa and then I came back and then the, the chef of Robuchon said, now I have a job for you. So now I, you know, I said, okay, cool. So then that's how I ended up. But for, by then we had been friends for, for, for a few years. Uh, and then we really like became really good friends there. And then from there we have done a lot of, you know, a lot of traveling together. We traveled to France together. I've stayed with his family. And so we, you know, we, we've done a lot of traveling, a lot of sharing meals together and wine, uh, more wine. Crazy um, story. <laughs> right, more darts, more beer, more wine. Yeah, that's pretty much how it's worked. It's, it feels great relationships, I guess. All right, so you started Manuel uh, of 2019, right? That's when you started yes, Open yes. to the Public. May okay. 20, wait, it's almost two years. Almost. Next month. Mm -hmm. And you, you had this plan, wholesale bread, 
maybe a little bit of retail. Obviously, as you said, that got thrown out the window. What are you sort of making these days and, and kind of how, like, what is the mix of products that you offer? Uh, we do, um, you know, sorry, we do, uh, we're making croissants, chocolate croissants. We do Kugelhoff's, uh, which I love. And then we just started making this, that English croissant. Uh, it's like a turnover, like an apple turnover. Uh, and we also do that, like the raisin, panaraisin, we call the raisin macerated in rum. Um, on the pastry side, we, we, we just launched that whole wheat baguette, which people ask for a more uh, healthier version um, or healthier bread, which uh, that's why we created a spelt recipe because it's, uh, it's a healthier uh, wheat. Uh, and then on the pastry side, we've, we've been doing, I'm actually working on something this week, but We've done like a black forest. We have this financier with like lime and vanilla, and hazelnuts. And what else have we done? Eclair. We change the eclairs and the religious constantly because people keep saying, I want this, but then do that, but then do the other one too. And then so it's. So you can have like chocolate eclair, coffee eclair, vanilla eclair. So. They just tell us what to do, we just do it. Essentially, how it <laughs> people just said, I want you to bring back this. And we're like, all right. Well, let's do it. And so, but they, they, they buy it, you know, so that it's right. not like it's making it. And, and like, they, they really, it's, 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 it has become this like very, you know, we know everybody and they're like, Hey, you know, they wave at us and it, you know, some kids, some of their kids come into the kitchen and slice their bread. And it's, it's became this kind of a neighborhood bakery without, you know, being in the wonderful warehouse uh, district that we are in. So Matt, let me just ask you, uh, one of the things you always sort of hear from, people involved in the baking business is that Houston's humidity and, and weather poses a lot of challenges. It does. Would, would you say that that's correct? And sort of how have you, what do you have to do to overcome that? We cook the bread longer. <laughs> we make it darker. So we, we, you know, take more hydration out of the crust. Um, and that's when, they, that's when using a, a natural mother does, right? Like uh, a mother, a Levon, right? That's what it does. It's a, uh, the process of, of, of using a, a very sour mix to make your bread that creates a really big crust, thick and, and brown. A, a, a bread that is made with Levon loses about 5% of its weight. Uh, and bread that is, it, is not made with Levon loses about 25% of its hydration. So that's why store-bought bread that is made with like commercial yeast and other additives, people think, oh, it lasts forever. You leave it outside for day and it'll turn into a rock but if you keep it in a bag it'll last for six months right but it's because of that you know the, the levana allows the bread to not lose as much water as as, as it normally would five percent is not a lot and because the crust does not allow it to lose that much weight while it's cooling down whereas the other bread loses a lot of hydration when it's cooling down but it's a very important step in the, the process of making bread um Someone told us when we started, uh, you're gonna, he's like, how are you going to cook your bread? I'm like, yeah. And he said, well, you're not going to make it here in this, in this town. And I said, why not? Because people don't like that. It's like, I beg to differ. And so people know the they're closed and we're still open. So that's to tell you. There you go. Yeah. I did, you know, I did a lot of research where I went around and, and I knew there was a lot of people that would want this bread because it's, um, the guy who sells us the flour said, you know, back in the 80s before the oil bust, there were a lot of French bakeries here with like organic. And then after that, they all went away and never came back. He's like, so now I'm glad that you brought it back because you guys are doing something that 
was popular in Houston in the 80s, but it just kind of went away. And now, now we hope that more people embrace the organic sort of bread because it's just better. Well, explain that. Like what, what about it is better or what makes it better? You know, one of the things that we do that um, it was a lot of work for us at the beginning was uh, sourcing out the flour. There's no additives in, 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 in the quality of the flour that we buy. It's extremely high. Um, we order the flour, it gets milled, and we have it within seven to 10 days. So the flour that we use is extremely fresh. Right? It's still, it still has a lot of moisture in it. So that creates better bread. You know, it hasn't been sitting for, in a warehouse for three years, uh, but the flavor is different. You know, you can put more water in it. It takes more hydration, which makes your bread better. Um, yeah, and also they, they don't put any additive on the, on the wheat. Yeah. So there is no, like, uh, most of those in uh, France, there is no, no chemicals uh, comes in the, in the wheat. So that's where the healthiness of the product is from. So they, that's why it's also more expensive, but they, they get less wheat out of the uh, sodium surface, you know, on, on the film, because they get less productivity. So it, they have to sell it more expensive. So it's all a chain of production, but it's uh, it's for the good. It's good for the hearse. It's good for the people too, you know. Right, but the, I mean, more expensive in in a baguette or a croissant is a relative thing, right? I mean, it's a a six dollar baguette or a, a four dollar croissant. I mean, you it's still very affordable, relatively speaking. Well, we try to keep the price, of course, uh, as possible. I mean, the lowest possible, of course. I mean, we you know we 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 still we still make money. Um, and we try not to, uh, we could be charging more. We know that because if literally a bag of flour, it's $45 and then a conventional bakery, like our competition, you could say is spending 15 bucks, 14 bucks. They buy pallets, so they could probably get it cheaper than that. So, and their prices are nowhere where it's kind of similar, right? So, you know, I think it's all about how you want to go about that. And so we, at least Magnolia. People always say, well, the margins are going to be not going to be as good because you're making organic. Ah, we know that. But, you know, like we always want, we wanted to do something that no one does. I, I mean, I also, I wonder if there's like a ceiling on what people will pay. I think so. Design, you know, yeah. I, I don't think no one's going to pay $8 for a baguette. I don't care how good it is uh, or what flowery, you know, grown, I don't know where. But um, no, there, there, it, I don't see the price of, you know, I think about gets three fifty. You know, I think it's pretty reasonable for, for for the, the quality for the quality that we. That well, right. I mean, you know, stack your stack your baguette up against you know a grocery store baguette or even some of the other bakeries around town. I, I mean, I, I think you feel pretty confident that people can taste the difference. Right, and so and, and that's all that matters to us. You know, I, that's all we want to do. We just want to make good bread. You know, and and and. Are we going to have 20 bakers in the next five years? No. Are we going to rent? You know, are we going to expand madly? No, we're not. It's just, that's just not who we are. Well, so, so let me just ask you kind of what, what is the future? Because you, you have upgraded your retail experience recently. You hired a barista. You've lengthened your hours. Um, talk about that and, and maybe kind of what your vision is for the next year or two now that you have a sense of what people want from you. What we want to do is we, we want to, we want to create a concept that can bring what we do uh, with the same quality, with the same type of equipment that big, you know, a lot of the, what we do is it's, 
it's based also in technique and the ingredients also, but it's also based on the equipment that we have, right? So our idea is to create what we do, just a miniature style one, um, where our footprint's not gonna be that big so that we can open many, many of them, but serve the same thing, you know, maintain the quality of what we do. For us to do that, we, we need to do a very small operation with very few people and so we can control the quality. But so we wanna take these two, um, where we can do smaller satellite bakeries, where, where we can put out just bread, pastries, and coffee, and very small things, like kind of in and out thing, kind of what we do here. Because right? we find that this is very effective for us. Uh, we, we feel we can do what we do in a very small space, and they still put out the same quality, um, and put it all in places that we think that, that people would appreciate what we do. Right. So, so in that kind of environment, you would make the doughs in your current location, and then the yeah. products would be, oh, okay. We would mix the dough here, mix the dough here, but we never. So they would transfer the dough to locations and it would be baked on location. Got it. Okay. It could be the freshness of the product. Oh, so, okay. So it's, it's kind of the anti-commissary. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, that all sounds, I mean, that sounds exciting. I mean, that's, that's you know, very intriguing. Be, I don't know which part of town you live in, but you know, we could let's say you live in Montreux, right? And it's a small space and they sell fresh every day. We trying to figure out a way to, so that we can move it, move everything, right? And have the right equipment there so that they can execute the bread just like we do here, but not need to have all the space that we do, right? Sort of simplify it a little bit more so that we can put out the same product. We think we can do it. We think we can do it because we, we're kind of sort of already training us, training ourselves to, to do that uh, here. But that's where we want to take it. You know, we continue to make good bread, good croissants, some pastries. Um, we're going to keep extend uh, the offer on product. So following the season, uh, new bread, new, uh, new croissant. People love the croissant and chocolate croissant, but I think they're getting tired of it. So I mean, not tired of it, but they would love to see what we can offer more, you know? Right. They always, they always want to ask what's new. But, <laughs> yeah. but they never get tired of a... Ra- I mean, a croissant is a classic, right? Nobody ever gets tired of a croissant. Yeah, I've, yeah. Never, I've never in my entire life turned down either a, a croissant or a chocolate <laughs> croissant. Right. We made one uh, the first year because we had nothing else to do. We were not busy. So we made some raspberry, raspberry pistachio ones. They're still asking about those. We're like, eventually we'll make them again. We have more people. As you know, there's a shortage of, of, of cooks and we just now are able to get more people in and are able to breathe a little bit more and say, okay, now we can start developing new things like we thought we would uh, two years ago. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a process and, you know, we just, we just have to keep going and, 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 uh, and try to, come up with new things, people that, things that we want to do, ideas that we have, and hopefully they come to fruition soon, not two years. Right. Yeah, because it's, it's taking too long. All right. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Otto Sanchez, let me start with you. What is your favorite pastry? Uh, anything with puff pastry. Matthew Cabot, what is your favorite pastry? It's ironic, but I would say the Italian tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. Matt, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, it, was, it was a French artist, Milan Farmer. Otto, how about you? Um, Faith No More, Guns N' Roses, and Metallica. Oh, that is an epic. I, that's an epic show. All right. Otto, I, 
who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Um, the dream. Matt, I, I feel like this is probably a stretch, but do you have a favorite Houston sports figure? Well, I would say uh, before he left was Arden because he was. I, I like to see him playing. That's a that's a perfectly fine answer. Otto, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through. Um, custom memories of Pollo Loco. Very good, Matt. How about you? Uh, I have to. Uh, I can't <laughs> lie on this, but McDonald's stay my stuff. <laughs> sorry, sorry, people. <laughs> <laughs> and then Otto, finally, when you go to a pizza, when you get a pizza. What are your go-to toppings? Uh, pepperoni and cheese. Matt? No, more veggies and meat. I'm a meat lover. Meat lover will be the one I go with. Yeah, he's <laughs> right. a meat guy. All right. Give me the website and the social media and all that for manual French baking. So it's manualfrenchbaking.com. Um, Instagram is at manualfrenchbaking. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think we have Twitter. No. You don't need no food businesses don't need Twitter. Right. Nobody, nobody. We have Instagram and, and Facebook. That's all you need. Yeah. All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you. Thank time. you, Eric. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.